Jesus said, Man cannot live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're listening to Daily Truth. We have sacrifices that the Lord commands of us. And not animal sacrifices made on an altar. But we're commanded in Hebrews chapter 12, for instance, to offer our own bodies as a living sacrifice, a continual and perpetual sacrifice, that all of life is Christian worship, that we are to give our whole life in obedience to God's law, not to merit his favor, not to earn his love, but as a response of gratitude for the free grace we've already received through faith. But it is a sacrifice. Obedience is a sacrifice. Our worship on the Lord's day is a sacrifice. Your tithes and offerings are a sacrifice. And when we make these sacrifices, what mind do we possess? How do we make these sacrifices? When you bring your tithes and offerings, do you say, and by this check, would you atone for my sin and grant me favor? Amen. If so, you're going to hell. And we need to talk after the service because that's very dangerous. That's not just a sin. That, that, that would represent, a, that's, that doesn't represent, it is a heresy and it represents a complete misunderstanding of the gospel. Meaning that you probably don't have saving faith because one of the components of saving faith is knowledge. The reformers argued knowledge, assent, and implicit trust. You cannot trust what you do not know. If you don't know who God is and you don't know that the basic tenets of the gospel, you cannot be saved. How will they believe unless they hear? How will they hear unless somebody preaches? Preaches what? Facts, substance, content. Not just feel goody, mystical, weird. What? No, no, no. You got to know God. You got to know Jesus. You got to know his person. He's the God man. You got to know his work. Sinless life, substitutionary death, bodily resurrection, and ascension and glory to the right hand of God the Father. You got to know these things. At minimum, if you're wondering how much is sufficient knowledge for faith to know, to ascend, and to trust, the Apostles' Creed is a great start. We do it every, every single week. But my point is this. If you're coming with your tithes and offerings or you're coming to the Lord on a Tuesday afternoon with some act of obedience, whatever it is, our lives are sacrifices. We make sacrifices in giving, sacrifice in obedience, sacrifices in our marriage, and our parenting, and our vocation, and all of life as we seek to obey the Lord, it is a sacrifice. But that sacrifice in and of itself is not saving. It is not sufficient. We do not obey the Lord as a sacrifice and say, and by this sacrifice in and of itself, I pray that you would be pleased with me, O Lord, pleased enough to welcome me into eternal glory with you. No, no, no. As we make our sacrifices, even as New Testament Christians, we make them in faith. In faith, knowing that all our sacrifices ultimately fall short, that even our obedience, although it is truly pleasing to the Lord, I don't want to go so far as to say our obedience is still an offense to God. That's the, that's the gospel myoptic, gospel-centered, centered, centered gospel, gospel thing that, that's just leads towards antinomianism, and the church doesn't care about the law, doesn't care about holiness. So I'm not saying that. Your obedience does please the Lord, but it does not please him enough. It matters, it pleases the Lord, it makes a difference in the world, all of it matters. 
but it is not sufficient for salvation. It's not. Only Jesus has perfectly obeyed. Only Jesus has perfectly satisfied the wrath of God. And so our New Testament offerings, we do them not with faith being the object of our offering, our sacrifice, our obedience itself. No, we, we, we commit this act of obedience with the object of our faith being beyond our, our act of service, our, our offering, our sacrifice, our obedience. Looking beyond it, as we obey, we look beyond our obedience to the perfect, pure, spotless obedience of Christ. And insofar as we do that, we are saved. And in that sense, it is the same with Old Testament saints, even in the Old Covenant. Insofar as Old Testament saints brought that lamb, that bull, that goat, that dove, that grain, and they followed the prescriptions in the Old Testament, the law of Moses, in order to offer true worship to God, insofar as they did all those things to the letter, but looking ultimately beyond those things, knowing that these things in and of themselves are not sufficient, but a Messiah has been promised, a Christ is coming. There is a true and ultimate and final Lamb of God who will be slain and in a very real sense was slain from the foundation of the world and that alone is my hope. There is the serpent crusher, the seed of Abraham, the descendant of David who of the increase of his kingdom there will be no end. In this and in this alone, I am ultimately purified. I offer the bull, I offer the goat to be pleasing to the Lord, to obey, and as a sign, a, subst or a shadow, uh, a type pointing towards the true Christ. And in him, in him alone, I put my faith insofar as an Israelite, 2,000 years ago, under the old covenant, worshiped and, and made animal sacrifices like that with faith, beyond the animal to the true Lamb of God, they were saved. They were saved. And I want you to see, it really is, it's different in de detail, but it is the same in principle for the New Testament Christian today. Uh, they, they obeyed God in the priestly animal sacrificial system, but looking beyond the obedience itself in faith, being the true object of their faith, the obedience of the Christ. And we too, on this side of the cross, we look back. In obedience, we obey a living sacrifice, not just the sacrifice of a, a bull or a goat, but our whole lives being laid on the altar as a sacrifice to the Lord, obedience in all of life, but looking beyond our obedience, knowing that our obedience does not save, but the obedience of another. We obey not to merit God's love. We obey as a response because we've already received God's love in Christ. It's the same thing. We look back. They looked forward. And because we look back, we look back with more clarity, less of a shadow. We can see the actual substance. We know his name. Well, we, we, we know a little bit about his childhood when he was 12 years old that he stayed in the temple. We know Jesus. We know Jesus. They knew, Old Testament saints, they knew Jesus enough, enough to have faith, true faith that, that maintains, it includes by necessity, knowledge, assent, and implicit personal trust. They knew Jesus. They knew him sufficiently. We know him more. And that is a blessing. It is a blessing that we are born this side of Christ, that we get to look back with the clarity that we have. Big news. Really big news. 
Our next Right Response Conference is in the works. We've got a number of things already lined up and organized. This is what we've got so far. The whole conference, three days long on post-millennialism and theonomy. And the speakers, Dr. James White, Dr. Joseph Boot, Gary DeMar, and of course, yours truly, Pastor Joel Webin. We've got a great lineup. We've got great topics. If you want to find out dates and location and registration and anything else, go and visit our website, rightresponseconference.com, rightresponseconference.com. 